Tell Me About the Lion by Jay Smith. I didn't love her. To be honest, I really didn't like her all that much anymore either. It was getting harder to stretch the small talk enough to put off the uncomfortable conversation we needed to have about the future of our relationship. There were still some laughs. There was even some decent sex, though we were both dreaming about other people. The truth? We had grown apart, and it was time to start a new life without one another. So the double blue line on her third consecutive pregnancy test was slightly problematic. I remember feeling about three inches tall, sitting on the couch in her parents' living room in front of her father's overstuffed throne. My child's maternal grandfather was a very large man, a very large Catholic man, a very large Catholic police man. I remember sitting on his couch, staring at his holy trinity above his fireplace, a hand-painted crucifix the size of a tire iron, his stripes and awards in a frame, and, at the top of the trinity, a large and very impressive hunting rifle. "'Do you love my little girl?' he asked. "'Of course,' I lied. "'Do you intend to take care of my grandchild?' "'Of course,' I promised." He extended a hand and I was able to come back from the handshake with all the bones intact. I left school for the job I was offered. Not for you, her father explained, for my grandson. For the next several weeks I lived this lie for a woman who claimed all her pain was my fault and any pleasure was enjoyed in spite of me. And I endured Every specialist, Lamaze, wedding planning, baby shower, whatever. I struggled between the assumption that I'd done something horrible to her and the idea that she held part of me hostage inside her womb. The moments I lived for came at the doctor's office, and the snowy image of my boy, my son, in the sonogram monitor, News that everything was going along great and all the tests were coming back aces. <laughs> I laughed harder than in months the first time he kicked me like a mule from inside Mommy's belly. I even started treating Mommy better, urged her to eat right and kept on her about not smoking or exerting herself. I took refuge in the solitude of mowing her parents' lawn and painting rooms while she and her mother went out shopping and showing off to her friends, and, most of all, setting up the baby's bedroom, even if I had no say in how. At night, when her eyes were closed and mouth shut, I could rest my hand on her belly and feel him growing stronger every day kicking and rolling about. I talked with him and promised I'll be a good person so I can be a good dad, that I'd endure anything for him. This wasn't your fault, I'd tell him. I'll make it right. We tried couples counseling until I realized that what I had to say would split us apart what I had to tell her about all her controlling, manipulative, hurtful actions would end the lie keeping me close. I couldn't bear 
to peek inside my nuclear arsenal of issues with her, things that would completely justify my own complaints and suffering, but, again, did not serve the little boy I had not yet met. I agreed to go through pre-Canna, before marrying. Never mind the church did not recognize my son or me. My fiancé's father paid to overlook those sins. A gentle-faced, sincere-looking old man asked, "'You want to marry your beloved in the Catholic tradition?' "'Of course,' I lied to the priest. "'Will you bring your child up in the church and make a good Christian home?' I said I would try to be a good parent and ask God to protect the child I created and who would come into this world of lies and mistakes where I could not.' And then he called my son a bastard. I stood and walked out. My fiancé followed shortly after, hysterical. I wanted to embrace her and hold her, but only because I desperately wanted to hold my son to me, feel him move and comfort him as I needed to be comforted. We slept apart, and the next morning... We had that final, uncomfortable conversation. Two weeks later, in her thirty-fourth week, my son's mother fell terribly ill. I was not informed because I was no longer living in her parents' home. I was working nights to pay for my new apartment, a two-bedroom with a nursery I laid out myself with some donated furniture and supplies. I took extra shifts so I could get all I needed for my little... Sean McAllister. I wanted to name him Rory, but I gave in on that too, because I knew he'd always have my last name. I didn't have much extra for toys, but I did have a little stuffed lion I'd won for his mother long ago, something she forgot about soon after and cast aside. I took it with me when I left, as much for myself as for Rory. When he would ask, Daddy, tell me about you and Mommy, I could look at the lion and try to remember a time when she was kind and lovely and looked upon me as I looked upon Rory. I put it in his fourth-hand crib beside his second-hand blankets. The following morning I received a call from Diane, who would have been my sister-in-law, my son's Auntie Dee. There had been complications leading back a week or more, and my son's heart just stopped beating. They tell me Rory died a day or more before his mother was admitted to the hospital. There was nothing that could be done. Arrangements had been made. They would be in touch. My ex was never alone supported along by the infinite sympathy worthy of a mother's loss. The new boyfriend helped, too. They'd known each other for so long as friends, and this was the logical next step. I earned a pat on the shoulder from her father at the modest funeral they'd arranged. Too much of the finances went into the wedding and the baby's room, I heard Granddad tell mourners. And my own parents, 
Well, I think they were somewhat relieved down deep inside their grief. There's a cold little stone in a cemetery I'd never seen before, and still never visit. I see his little pile of earth, surrounded by colorful tchotchkes from people I barely knew, people who didn't know Rory, Sean, McAllister, the way I did. They say a funeral is for the ones left behind. I held my own in a little empty bedroom that I'd built with my own hands, my own choices, and by my own means. Rory's with me. I sing to him every night. I'm sorry we could never meet. I wonder what might have been if I'd just kept quiet, bought into the lie that was my life a little longer. Maybe I would have been there, with my ear to her stomach, listening. Maybe I could have saved you, Rory. I hold him to my chest each night and rock with him until I have no choice but to sleep. <laughs>